We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, Reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% .9 of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand the chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. So the LA Rams will be the number two seed. They finished 13 and 3, a 13 win season for the third time in franchise history. I've been dreaming this my whole life. This don't have you. Yeah. It's time to put in the work. Yeah. Every man go dominate. Hey, Offense, defense, special team. Let's go. What are we talking about? Greg Zerline sends the Rams to the Super Bowl. Hey, 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 welcome to Rams Talk Radio. This is Derek C. Paul, my co-host, my partner in crime, former Los Angeles Rams defensive back, Michael Stewart. And it's great that he's here for today's recording because we are looking at the 2019 Los Angeles Rams defensive backfield. He's the perfect guy to break it all down. But before we get there, Mike, how you doing, man? Hey, man, we're doing good, buddy. Getting it going. First day of pads out here in the California IA. So, man, we're excited and guys are doing well. So, we're getting to rolling. But, man, I'm glad to be here to talk about these DBs. It is the day for DBs. And the DBs, I, I don't know if you guys are out there for family day. We were there. The Rams were 
generous enough to uh, to accredit us for this game and enough of the game for the scrimmage. And our boy Johnny was out there doing some top-notch work for us. He had some great observations on the defensive backs. And his key takeaway is this secondary looks real good, looks very good, and will be a problem for most teams to deal with. There are other issues, which you should go read his article and so on and listen to last night's podcast to get more into that. But the secondary, from his view, it's golden. My concern is I felt this way last draft. I, I, we can go back to old podcasts, Mike, and and the quote is there. I'll, I'll put myself out there. I thought that the depth of the secondary for the Rams put them possibly the deepest, best secondary in the league. And in the end, didn't want to go in that way. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's it's uh, it'll be interesting to see how we bounce back in regards to you know how everything ended, and you know the good thing about the off season, you get a, some time to stew about it. Then you got time to work on it, and then now that camp is here, now it's time to see what's going to be what. And the positives too, the secondary actually finished the year strong. They did well to help lock down Drew Brees in the second half of that game in the championship game. They did a great job keeping the Rams in the game in the Super Bowl when, really honestly, who would have thought that the Rams would give up 13 points to the New England Patriots and lose? I mean, honestly, losing, giving them only 13 points. So there were a lot of positives to end the year on, but it was a very erratic season, and now we're here in camp. And it's time for this Rams secondary to step up because if we're going to look at the defense, that's where the strengths are. That's where the experience is. That's where the talent is. And there's talent elsewhere, obviously, Aaron Donald and so on. But in terms of the core group, you can easily say the secondary is the most talented group we have. Well, you know, that's that's a good thing. But any good secondary play, uh, they're going to tell you they're as good as the upfront pressure that they get. That allows them to react on time, be able to, you know, do a 1,001, 1,002. You expect the ball to come out. So with all those things being uh, put in play, the secondary should be pretty formidable with our uh, up front and, D, D, you know, well, they call it, you know, our four front seven, if you will, or the four in the front or three in the front. But the front seven overall is putting pressure on the passer, allowing us to get back here and make plays. So... Before we get deeper into that, guys, we do want to go ahead and say right away, this episode is sponsored by Jim Hawk and his book, Hollywood's Team. We also remind you that we're anywhere podcasts can be found, including Spotify, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Apple Music. Right now, we have a contest going to get to our 200th five-star review. If you could, and if you haven't done it yet, head on over to iTunes, subscribe, leave that five-star review, send us a screenshot to Rams Top 1945 of the review. And that way we know who to send a reward out there to, to enter into the contest. And your reward is the same five dollars gift ticket to NFLshop.com. Also, we do want to remind you that the t-shirts for the Rams and Central Pool Party are still available. Get in touch with Rand Tommy in LA. We'll have an order sheet out there for you as well. And we, we're actually kind of against the crunch here with Dom. Dom's fundraiser... Started off real strong and starting to peter out a little bit. And he's got his appointment now at the University of Washington, and we're trying to get him in there. If you could, if you've got a few extra bucks, help him out. I will go ahead and make sure one more time that the, the link is tweeted out tonight when I get the podcast posted as well. And you can see it. And hopefully, um, if you're able, do the man a, a solid send a little bit his way. If you're able, we'd really appreciate that. Okay, one more thing. The tour in the league, I cannot believe you're almost there. We only started about three months ago. The tour in the league ends 
with our Wednesday podcast. Today we have Luke Braun from Locked On Vikings to give us a lowdown on the NFC rivals that we all just love to hate. Those Vikings who killed us so many times in the 70s. They are looking at least somewhat decent this year. We'll get a preview on them. And then this Wednesday, our last tour in the league visit will be with Joe Kuzma from the Steel City Underground for the Pittsburgh Steelers, one of our opponents this year. He's got a lot to say. So lock in for those, especially for the Pittsburgh one, because that's that's an opponent, and we have a lot of questions, I think, on, about what happened with the Steelers this year. All right, Mike, here we go. Defensive backs. Oh, the roster here. There are numerous defensive backs, corners on the roster right now, including Dante Dean, Dominique Hatfield, He's back. Troy Hill, Kevin Peterson coming off an ACL injury. Ramon Richards, Nickel, Roby Coleman. He's loved in, I hear he's loved in New Orleans, by the way. I hear they just love him in New Orleans. They just want to make him the proud owner of the key to the city. Akib Tlaib, Marcus Peters, rookie David Long Jr. out of Michigan. He's getting some nice reviews as well. And Darius Williams. Those are our corners right now. Mike, looking at that group, I... We were talking a little bit before the podcast started. I believe that it's pretty cut and dry unless somebody really, really messes up. It's pretty obvious who will probably make the team unless one of these rookie guys comes in there, young guys, does what he does and, and dethrones them. What are your thoughts on this group of corners? Well, you know, the great thing about the corner position, we call it the freeway. Uh, you're out there on an island, if you will. Uh, but the best way to get the best out of your corners or really any secondary players competition. So that's what they definitely have. Uh, obviously you got some seasoned veterans and probably those first two spots. And then you got a number of guys either vying to uh, resurrect a career, if you will, you know, second, third year guys and a number of rookies who are battling to get in there. But every year you're going to see a guy that sneaks in under the radar because he just comes to camp and he wants it more. I mean, just looking at the roster there that's available, I'm going to go Marcus Peters and Akeem Tlaib. Those are two guys that are going to start. We also know that both these guys are in contract years. Am I right? Yeah. I believe so. Okay, with with the possibility if he works out, there's always that possibility that Marcus Peters could be franchised or transition tagged or whatever next year. But he would technically be, right now, scheduled to be a free agent. You have behind him, behind those two, you have Troy Hill and Nikhil Roby Cohen. Those will be your three and your four. Nikhil Roby Coleman has flashed some great stuff in the past couple of years. Troy Hill has actually shown a couple of times that he can be a shutdown guy, but he's also a guy who will lose his head a little bit and make some really goofy mistakes. Those are the first four. But then the Rams go out there and they draft David Long Jr., a big physical cornerback from Michigan who fits a lot of what Wade Phillips likes to do. There's your five with the potential, I would guess, to move up anywhere from three to you know three or four. And then you have one more spot that Kevin Peterson is there, Dominic Hatfield, Kevin Peterson tore an ACL. He actually had played very well up until the point where he had torn that ACL last year. We were at the game, Norm and Johnny and I, we were at the game where, against Jimmy Garoppolo. He picked off two Garoppolo passes. So I'm looking at this and go, this is a veteran group, a lot of experience in that first six as seven, really, Dominic Hatfield, and then a couple of guys who are really going to have to show out to make the team. What do you think are the strengths of this unit overall? Well, the depth. The depth. And so when you're able to come in and you don't need a guy like 
uh, David Long Jr. to be a guy to just come in and play right away. Though a third round pick, they're they're pretty high on a guy like that to come in. He'll probably definitely be playing in the nickel and the dime packages uh, that that the Rams defense and Wade will employ. So it'll be interesting to see how one the rest of the guys react because if you've been in the league, whether a guy the first round, second round third round whatever the thing you should have on those guys is the experience of what camp is all about when you come in as a rookie yeah you're excited but you don't really know how to pace yourself you're just kind of going you know all out and everything and you know you're dog dead tired after practice where the other guys are just kind of going hey you know so it'll be interesting to see uh how it actually pans out but i would expect uh, kevin peterson if the knee injury and if he's confident mentally that he's going to make that that third rounder work. So Kevin Peterson and David Long, they're going to be. You think that's a battle right there for the for the roster, right? In terms of positioning. Yeah, in terms of positioning, in the sense of again, a third rounder, unless he just is out of shape or does something crazy, you would expect that guy to make the team because. You know, that's a pretty high pick in one sense to to get a guy in who's not going to make a team. So but I think, again, when you have a guy like Peterson who's been in the system, now it's just a matter of how far back is he from the injury. So I don't look at it as in terms of Peterson versus Long. I think Long is going to make the team really based on the investment they made on him and they're going to try and work him in. It's been a really long time since I've seen a guy who was drafted in the third round released by a team. I think that I think the name that comes to mind would be running back Maurice Claret from the Broncos. <laughs> Remember him all those years ago? So I'm looking at the battle potentially between Kevin Peterson and maybe, say, Hatfield for a place. Or even potentially, I mean, maybe even Troy Hill, dude. You know, Troy Hill has been great at times and he's made you pull hair out at times i mean i think i have a couple bald spots still that are growing in from last year from him and just i can't <laughs> believe he's so erratic but so i don't know i think um, it's hard for me to say well hey you know long may or may not make the team but it's been so long since the team has said you know what we're, we're going to cut bait with you unless you're really a problem i see david long as I, they have to view him at this point like the heir apparent maybe to say to leave wouldn't they well no well, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, again, they're not going to draft a guy that high. My only point is, and maybe I'm speaking more of if it were me, I don't care who it is. I've already been here. I know what's going on. If they give you the job, that's different. But if it's actually a competition, well, I got advantage. That's that's mm-hmm. what it should be. Gotcha. Now, you know, again, if this guy comes in, he just shows more talent, more moxie. But the fact is... He's going to be starting his day on special teams. And, you know, I guess Peterson would as well, trying to come back off the injury. Uh, My only point is having a few years in the league should play to your advantage. Now, doesn't always, because sometimes you you draft a guy that high, they're going to say, well, we're going to put him in there, you know, again, in these nickel and dime packages and get him ready to be that number two guy if he's ready to go so it just depends on the maturity of, of david long because again fantasy he has he is a third round draft pick third round draft pick who is the perfect way to fill this mold so i mean i look at this cornerback position here 
And I think they're going to be fine as long as the injuries don't mount up again. You guys remember last year seeing both Tlaib and Peters hurt in the same game, the Chargers game. And the way it just altered the entire defensive plan, what they tried to do, what they could do, and trying to put Peters out there on an island and have him be a man-to-man guy when he's not a man-to-man guy. And yet you had to find a different way to use him because he's a rover. He's a, he's the guy, like you said before, he's going to be the guy that says, you know, I'm going to play deep and I'm going to get this football. I, I, I want to see what they can accomplish long-term. Hopefully they can stay healthy. I totally agree with you, Derek, in the sense of, the unfortunate thing in the league or you know any sports is injuries you just can't foresee how those can impact your team in the time that they happen so absolutely as long as our guys can stay healthy we're going to be great because remember i mean we really had it dialed up before those two guys especially uh marcus and hakeem went down uh to went down and then it just kind of was trying to get guys back healthy. And, and as you said, Marcus kind of got put on an island, if you will. Or in, in our terms, we say got a little exposed in some mm-hmm. areas. But once they made some adjustments, he was kind of back playing like he is. But I think even that is going to help him to actually hopefully he's put in the work so that he can be counted more on being able to, if they need to go back to that strategy, that this time he'll be able to be a master of it. Well, I'm hoping that over the course of time, he's developing a better man-to-man game. Because you need to have a guy who can play man-to-man if you're going to be a top corner in this league. You can't just be a playmaker who will go out there and get a football in return for a touchdown. Those guys, we love them. They're great. But you can't be the guy who gets blown off the ball every time either. You can't be the guy who's, you know, cut deep on posts and cut deep on flies. you got to be there. But we can't forget also that there were problems in communications with the safety position throughout the year, especially once Tlaib went down, that once that whole core secondary got back together at the end of the year, it improved a lot. And guys came back in their roles. And I hate to throw LaMarcus Joyner on the bus a little bit there, but LaMarcus Joyner had some issues there, especially working with Marcus Peters. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not throwing a guy under the bus. It's just that's what it was, and that's kind of what happened. Now, obviously, we don't know every single call that was made or the defense. and But from what it looked like from you know our vantage point is there was a lot of communication, miscommunication, excuse me, going on, which ultimately can kill, you know, your secondary play overall when, you know, because when it – breaks down in the secondary it usually results in a big play when it breaks Mm -hmm. down you know at the d-line or maybe back of position you know we call ourselves the eraser we erase the mistakes come up make a tackle or cause a fumble and rest is history but you get beat deep or you let a guy run open wide it's pretty easy to see somebody's back there is not doing their job so all that goes to the safety though and we have a different safety back there. Marcus Joyner's gone. He goes to Oakland. He doesn't live up to the franchise player contract. We can we can be real with that. I, uh, he's a fine player, just didn't live up to the contract. Had his issues. There's an argument Tommy made at last show that if we could have lost that championship game against the Saints if it, with Marcus Joyner's bonehead play out in, in uh, center field, so there. Were real concerns about the safety play next to John Johnson. Now, John Johnson to me is a star. He's becoming one of the best safeties in the league. And who, what do they do? They go out there and they get Eric Weddle to come in and partner with him in the middle of that secondary. 
What is your take on Eric Weddle joining John Johnson back there? Well, you talk about a seasoned veteran who's been in many, many, many big games. So you have a guy that there's nothing that's going to shake him going into a week, going into a game in a safety play. And as far as you can remember, Eric Weddle, he shows up in games when you least expect it. But I like the thing about Eric, you know, just doing more homework on him and find out a lot more about him and, you know, just a savvy, his moxie, two-way player in college. I mean, that's pretty cool. But he's a guy that has got some grit to him. So you have a guy that's not going to be on the field uh, taking plays off. And so I just think his experience is going to pay big dividends with a young guy like John Johnson. It reminds me a little bit of me coming in the league uh, behind guys like Nolan Cromwell and Johnny Johnson, you know, who are 10-year-plus veterans. Uh, but, man, they had a lot that I learned and was able to adapt and put into my own game. I also think of it, too, is it really stabilizes that secondary. If Eric Well is supposed to be somewhere, he's going to be somewhere. You never got to worry about him being in the wrong place. If he's supposed to cover an area of the field so Marcus Peters could roam, Marcus Peters would be free to roam. And that was one thing that, again, Tommy pointed out last week, and I went back and watched a little bit of film, and and seeing what Eric Weddle brings to the table, he just brings a certain level of stability and maturity to a secondary that, let's just be honest, it hasn't always been there with that unit, even with some of the older guys before. Some of the guys who've been in the league, they don't always play up to what should be their maturity level. And we're not going to have that problem with Eric Weddle up. That's going to be a professional who's going to carry his game out. And I think also a great influence on a, on a younger John Johnson to see what kind of professional he wants to work towards being the rest of his career. Uh, oh, no doubt. No doubt. <clears throat> I mean, when you look at little things like, you know, a 13-year pro out of 185 games, 170 starts. You know what I mean? That's that's a lot of starts, a lot of durability of the position at safety and in a different place, whether he's in San Diego or in, with the Ravens. You know, he's a free safety. He's played strong safety. So the ability to play all over, basically, and to your point, that will allow him to be in different places, which allows guys like uh, Akeem to leave to really just man up or take some chances if you say but they're not really chances when everybody in the secondary is on one page now there is a little bit of an interesting story here taylor rap i'm guessing he is eventually exposed to be the kind of the guy who takes over for eric weddle when his time's up with the team he's already showing some really nice signs in camp a young guy a hitter a guy who'll get down and gritty and dirty kind of like eric well we know there to me is some concern though that he's also a lot of the same Build up the same same makeup of a John Johnson. Does that make in a, the long term? Does that make the position a bit too one dimensional, or am I missing something here? Well, you know the thing is, if you look at the depth chart, they have Taylor Rapp behind John Johnson, which means they're thinking both of them as being more of a strong safety. So it'll be interesting to see. But Taylor seems to have a little bit more of a build to play a free safety. Now, the thing is, it goes back to what you're saying about how does Coach Phillips and the defensive staff want to employ these guys in regards to their packages. So, 
you know, we had packages that call like, you know, big nickel where you would have three bona fide safeties in at the same time or something like that. So it just depends on how it goes. And then, you know, the thing is when you play safety, you typically should be able to play both. Obviously strong safety or should be more in the box, a little more physical, but a strong safety should be able to play free because you're just roaming a little bit. But it just comes down to ball skills. And, again, sometimes a lot of what are the packages on defense, what are the coverages on defense, and how they want to deploy you. So, again, we asked earlier, we talked earlier in regards to some of the strengths. And so this is some of the strengths that you have in regards to just the depth at the position, a mixture of old and young, so that you now have stability going forward. Another battle there, potential for that fourth spot, Nick Scott, the the late rounder, up against Marky Christian, has been there for a while. I think he's probably going to be the same kind of thing as you were mentioning earlier with the cornerback battles. How do you see that playing out in terms of who makes the team, who doesn't, and what about the other guys in that roster right now? Well, you look at, you know, Marquise and, and Nick, you know, one is a seventh-round pick. You know, Nick was, again, seventh-round picks. Those are guys that you hope come in with a little bit of the chip of their shoulder. But, you know, he recorded a lot of tackles, uh, played in 52 games at Penn State, recorded 114 defensive tackles, 60 solo. So it looks like he likes to get up and get dirty, mix it up. Uh, Marquis obviously was acquired from uh, the Cardinals. Uh, and was a fifth-round draft choice when he was with them. So you got guys probably of similar ability. Uh, One guy has been in the league. One guy is a rookie. So this is where, you know, special teams starts to separate guys as who can do the most on the special team world. You know, do we got a guy that's going to go down and play, or is this guy just a defensive guy? So that's where those guys will separate themselves. But – Again, you know, Mark, he has been in the system at least a year. So, again, he should have. Yeah, a couple years. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and so, again, if I'm on the team, I'm just not going to give up my job that easy. All right. So, there you go, folks. The, this secondary to me is that, well, let me say it right. It should be the deepest on the defense in terms of positions. That back four, it's death behind it. There are a lot of questions about that front seven, but to me, the most stable thing right now should be the Rams secondary. Let's see if that actually bears fruit. Last year, I was real big on the secondary. It did all right, had lots of downs, had some ups as well. Let's see if it, it, it meets that need, especially in a conference that has a lot more ammunition, lots more in terms of passing threats. And then we're playing the AFC North this year that has Baker Mayfield and Ben Roethlisberger as well. So, that, that, that to me is a big, big threat for the Rams to deal with as a try and three-peat the NFC West. Yes, definitely. Loving what you're talking about. Loving the opportunity that's out in front of the Rams. And, you know, you look at the secondary with some seasoned veterans that can definitely lead the way and, you know, make sure everybody's lined up. So I'm excited, you know, to see what the – you know, some people say, man, you know, what's left in the tank with Eric Weddle? But I, I just think that him being back here on the West Coast, as we say, the best coast, uh, playing in this system that should definitely expose some of his strengths, that uh, we're going to be a formidable unit in the uh, back half. 
All right, so there you go. There's our defensive back preview. That's all of our previews for positions. We could preview special teams, but, heck, we already know they're great. So why even bother? Johnny Hecker, Greg Zerline, we know what to expect from them. But next time you see Michael and I on a podcast, one preseason game will be down. We'll be heading towards yes. week two. And that reminds me, I'll let you know that we have another contest besides the Apple Music iTunes contest. And that is we are giving away two tickets to the Rams' second preseason game, the one that's at the Coliseum against the Broncos. And this is what you need to do. You need to head on over to Twitter and retweet our most recent podcast. Retweet our most recent podcast. And once that's done, you'll be entered into the contest for tickets. That's thanks to Jim Hawk, our sponsor, who really has been on fire for us of late, man. That's thanks to him. He's providing this for us to give away. It is the tickets for the game out in the Coliseum. Speaking of Jim Hawk, let's go ahead and talk about his wonderful book. It's a great piece of Rams history. And many of us, myself especially, because you guys know I am the professor here apparently, most of us are practically addicted to anything Los Angeles Rams. Well, if you want to learn more about the Rams and their history, the bit of personal touch, check out Jim Hawk's Hollywood Teen Grit, Glamour, and the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. The book tells us where the 1950s Rams, the ones of Jim's dad, John, who was an offensive lineman for the team from 1953 to 1957. Check out the story of his father and the team he played for in an era of glitz, glamour, and future Hall of Famers. These people, these folks you're going to read about include Norm Van Brocklin, Elroy, Craig Hirsch, Tom Fears, and Les Richter in this story spent the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. You can find Hawk's book online at hollowsteam.com and on Twitter at Hollow's Team. The book is available in hardback and electronic form at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and it's out on paperback this September 6th. I've read the book from cover to cover. It's a great read. It's a great piece of Rams history. And all proceeds go to Homeboy Industries, which is an organization out there in the SoCal area that helps pull people out of the gang life and makes them into better members of society. Great read. Great cause. Done, you know, done by a good dude. Jim Hawk, his book, Hall was seen great glamour in the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. It's well worth your time. Check it out. Okay, without further ado, here is Luke Braun from Locked On Vikings with our look at the 2019 Minnesota Vikings. All right, folks, I'm here with Luke Braun from Locked On Vikings. How you doing, Luke? I'm great. Thanks for having me, man. Well, we're glad to have you. You are the last team for us on the tour around the league this year. It took us a whole month to get everybody in. And, uh, well, we're very glad to have you on. And right away, I just want to ask you, what on earth happened to the 2018 Vikings? I thought they were going to be in for a Super Bowl run, and in the end, it was a, kind of a disappointment. Well, I hope the uh, 2020 draft order looks something like your order. Oh, really? Uh, what's, what's that? <laughs> I was just making a joke because we were last. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes, for the Vikings because they were coming off the NFC Championship and you thought, oh, they only got better. You know, they went from Case Keenum to Kirk Cousins and they got Sheldon Richardson and that was kind of their big offseason. But as with a lot of Vikings teams in the last few years, there were a few things that, like, undid them. Uh, I I would say most people agree that the offensive line and the scheme were the two biggest culprits and there's kind of differing opinions on Kirk Cousins, but I guess we'll get into that later. But, you know, the offensive line was a, a huge liability. They were under a ton of pressure. They led the league in pressure. They uh, they passed more often than any other team, so that can be kind of misleading. Like, you're going to have more pressures if you have more passing plays. 
But even after you adjust for that, they were like third or fourth in the league or something. So it's not like the offensive line was not a bottom five unit. And because of that, they couldn't run the ball, which caused a whole bunch of other kind of like issues compounding uh, as you kind of like go through it. Like if you can't run the ball, they didn't feel very comfortable running play action. So they didn't run play action at all, even though Kirk Cousins is widely known as one of the better play action, play fake QBs out there. They didn't feel like they could run it, which doesn't really make sense because they were really efficient at play action when they did run it. They just didn't feel like they could do it very often. And that meant that it was like really difficult to get anything going. So, you know, you fire the offensive coordinator in the middle of the season, but it was already kind of too little too late by then. And add, add in a couple of other little hiccups like Everson Griffin having an off-field issue, a, a mental health issue, and having to take kind of a leave of absence from the team, which affected the whole team's kind of like locker room thing. And uh, Kirk Cousins had his fair share of struggles as well, and it all added up to a season where they weren't bad. They were 8-7-1, but that's not enough to get you into the postseason. So how do you evaluate Kirk Cousins and his contract at this point? Um, so I, you'll, you'll get a different answer from pretty much every like Vikings person yet ask. I'm a hater. I didn't want him in the first place. I didn't think, you know, the, the contract itself doesn't bother me very much. That money was going to go to some quarterback. It bothered um, me. Just wanted, just wanted to <laughs> um, and you know, the fully guaranteed and all that, that, that doesn't bug me all that much also because the salary cap's really malleable. And we've actually seen that the Vikings have been able to hang on to all of their principal players and all of their key characters. Um, and they've been able to find ways to, you know, restructure a contract here or there, do something and get under the cap, and, and it hasn't really been, like, it hasn't affected their roster at all. But I am not a fan of Kirk Cousins as a quarterback, and stapling franchise to him for three years is what I disagreed with. I think that, like, the way that I describe it is I think he can follow a recipe, but he can't cook. You know, if you give him a plan and, you know, the first read is there, he will take the first read every time. Uh, Pro Football Focus puts out a QB annual every year where they actually track whether or not he threw to his first read or his second read and so on. And he throws to his first read very often, but those plays were very poor, which is another indictment of the scheme. Like, if the play works, you know, you throw to your first read and those plays aren't working, your play design is bad. But at the same time, there is a little bit of an expectation on the quarterback to recognize, hey, if I throw to my first read, I can complete the pass, but he's not going to get enough yards to keep us ahead of the chains, I need to go create something else or move on. You know, he can go through a progression like he's taught to, but when things break down, either because of pressure or just because, you know, the coverage isn't what he thought or because, I mean, these things happen every, in every game very often, he can't create. And whether that's, you know, breaking the pocket and running around to make time and playing schoolyard ball, that's what kind of made Case Keenum so good in 2017 but we all kind of understood, too, that that was unsustainable. So we knew there was going to be some kind of regression. We just hoped it wouldn't be five wins big. Um, but my, my biggest issue with Kirk Cousins, and, and there's also a ball security issue. You know, he fumbled a lot and, and threw too many pick sixes for my taste. Um, but mostly my, my issue with him is that when things, like he's too willing to accept the first read if he can complete the pass, rather than can he complete the pass and can it get enough yards. And I, I, I don't think that that's something that's ever going to change with him. Like at this point, he, you know, you're not going to teach a dog that that's, that's going on 30, any new tricks like that. It's just the way his mental makeup is. And that's why I think that for as long as he's the quarterback of the Vikings, there's going to be a pretty hard limit on how far they can go. What would it take to prove that he's worth the money the Vikings paid for? Win a playoff game. 
I think if you can go and, and win a playoff game, especially if it were a road playoff game, you know, hope you can play as many of those as you can on home, at home. But I, I think um, if he can, and I've, I've gone on record and said this, if he, I've been a huge Kirk Cousins hater, but if he wins a playoff game in purple, I'm buying a jersey. And, I, and I'll take my lumps and I'll, buy, and I'll buy a Kirk Cousins jersey and I'll wear it to everything. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I just don't kind of believe that he's capable of taking you that, taking you that far. Um, and again, I, I think he's probably overpaid, but again, that doesn't, bo- that doesn't bother me very much. It's more that the team is kind of married to him for a, a very crucial three-year stretch in which a lot of their superstars are in their prime. See, the problem I had with the contract was it set the market. We had Jared Goff coming up for a contract soon, and you know his Carson Wentz coming up. So those guys are all coming up, and he, his contract changed everything and how this market's going to go. So thanks, Kirk Cousins and the Vikings. <laughs> yeah, well, it might. It might the, the Vikings do this a lot with guarantees, so this is actually pretty on-brand for them, where they will, they will give out guarantees at a higher, higher clip so that they can get the actual overall cap number down. And if you, if, for the Rams, if you are okay with, you know, being married to Jared Goff, and I know there are differing opinions on him, but if you're, like, willing to accept, okay, Jared Goff's going to be the guy for five years, and we have no intention of changing that, then, yeah, fully guarantee the contract and get the number down so you can sign more players. I am fine with Jared Goff. I know there are some haters out there for him. I know that, like, Mike Florio just last week with his, with his comments about, well, I don't, I don't really... I'm skeptical about Goff and the Rams and him signing a second deal. Let's listen. That's not. They're not letting him go. They're not letting him go. So he's still developing. He's not done yet. So it doesn't make sense. And I'm cool with that. With the with the Vikings and Kirk Cousins, though, it was so much guaranteed money. It was kind of off the wall because if the Vikings have waited a little bit longer, I think they either get him at a lower clip or he goes to the Jets for you no know, an even ridiculous more ridiculous amount of money. I don't think that the Vikings really needed to go get him. I think, you know, just, just from the outside looking in, but on your end, you watch this team every year. But did they really need to let him go? I mean, let him go, go get him, or was were they final case or did they have other options? Personally, and I, I would have taken the risk and stuck with Teddy Bridgewater. I was always a big fan of Teddy Bridgewater. And I kind of figured that if he could come back from his injury, I thought he would be a um, better quarterback at exactly those things that I was just complaining about at, you know, making something happen when you're behind the chains or when the situation isn't ideal or when you're under pressure, which he definitely demonstrated in 2015. Um, but I, I do understand that, like, they didn't want to mess with the knee injury and they just, you know, they, they let both uh, Teddy and Sam Bradford walk and they were like, we're going to do somebody healthy. And if you're going to eliminate those two because they were unhealthy, I wouldn't if it were me, but I get it. And then if you're choosing between Kirk Cousins and Case Keenum, then I don't think that that's a very hard decision at all. Like, of course, Kirk Cousins is better than Case Keenum. And, you know, inside the organization, they always, like, throughout that whole magical 13-3 and 2017 run, that whole time, they kind of understood that Case Keenum was lightning in a bottle and that that wasn't going to repeat itself uh, in 2018. And that bore out to be true. So I, I definitely, like, get that from an off-season perspective of we don't want to mess with the knee injuries, but the we don't want to mess with the knee injuries is the part that I disagree with. I think it would have been better to take a little bit of a risk to get a much more efficient deal. Uh, and, you know, there are always going to be options if things don't work out. There have been some draft quarterbacks, and it, there's been a lot of quarterback turmoil in Minnesota. Meanwhile, Deshaun Watson and Baker Mayfield are happening, and Pat Holmes is all happening. 
So it, it, it is difficult to watch everybody else go get their quarterbacks while we're sitting here and floundering with maybe the 12th best quarterback in the league being paid by the, like the 5th best. It is frustrating. So for the Vikings, the rest of their roster here, how did they address their holes in free agency and what were their best and worst decisions? Um, so they had a relatively quiet free agency compared to some of the other teams out there, which is fine. You, know, you don't need to be the most active team in free agency to be successful. Um, and they did have some cap liability issues. I think the best move, and this is going to be a really boring answer, is retaining Anthony Barr. He's a huge part of the defense. A, a few Vikings fans think that he uh, isn't as good as he is because a lot of the impact that he has is on the stats of his teammates. He is an extremely, I'll call him a distracting player on the field, uh, where like offenses and quarterbacks, and especially like centers and protection schemes and offensive lines, get very distracted by Anthony Barr. And you'll almost always see them like sliding protections his way if he's threatening blitz, or you know having a lineman will always like have an eye on him pre-snap. And if he threatens blitz and then backs off into coverage, which he has this freakish athleticism and is able to do, and that's really rare and hard to replace if you lost him, and suddenly all of the protection schemes you changed to make sure that it's okay, you know, to make sure that you have Anthony Barr covered, are completely wrong, and the blitz comes from the other side, and you get free sacks. And Harrison Smith feasts off of this. Mackenzie Alexander blitzing out of the slot feasts off of this. You get all kinds of one-on-one one-on-one matchups for guys like Daniel Hunter and even Linval Joseph. Like they'll go worry about Anthony Barr and go one-on-one against Linval Joseph, the nose tackle. Anthony Barr makes other teams do a bunch of stupid stuff all the time, and it, it turns into stats for those other players. But it's still his impact. And I think the coaches understand that, but it's really hard to represent it when you start talking about, like, stats and accolades and stuff. But, uh, you know, keeping him on the roster and being able to get him back, even though you had to pay a little bit more than the Vikings were planning to to get him back from the Jets, uh, is an, an awesome move. And then elsewhere in the offseason, you know, they had this huge offensive line problem, so they go out and sign Josh Klein, who I would call a below-average starter. I don't think he fills the hole, but at least he's starting quality, which is maybe more than we could say about the offensive line from last year. Uh, and then their first-round draft pick in Garrett Bradbury goes a long way because he'll start at center and kick uh, Pat Elfline, who started at center last year, but had some pretty big strength issues. He was still coming off of an injury from 2017, and he like missed a lot of the off-season workout program. And he was struggling with the protection calls. So the center has to, you know, look to read the defense and tell everybody who to block. That Elfline, I think, and I'll never know because I'm not in the room and I'm, I'm not analyzing, you know, I, I don't have enough access to know this for sure. But I think he's really bad at it because a lot of the pressures and sacks that happened were communication issues. There was a play, an infamous play, where Mike Remmers actually screen blocked. He did what's called a lookout block where you actually get out of the way and push the player toward the quarterback which you're supposed to do on a screen because it gets them further away from the screen. And he did that, but it wasn't a screen. He was the only guy that thought it was a screen, and it turned into a horrible sack. So <laughs> that, that kind of thing, while it's, it's a miscommunication and, and having a good center calling protections can cut down on that a lot. And I think Pat Elfline was really, really bad at that. So he gets to move to guard where he can just focus on blocking, and I think that'll be better for him. He played more guard in college anyways. And now you have Garrett Bradbury playing center, and he projects to be a really good center for like a decade. So if that bears out, then you'll have immediately a whole bunch of uh, improvement on the line. Plus Brian O'Neill entering his second year, and hopefully he can like keep shaking off some of that rawness. And hopefully Josh Klein can improve upon Mike Remmers, who was kind of a mess at guard last year. 
So you mentioned the draft, though. You mentioned Bradbury. What about the rest of this draft class? How do you rate it overall? I, mean, I know you're, we're not really big into grades anymore, but did the Vikings fill their needs? I think they did a very good job of filling their needs, potentially at the cost of value. Um, but I, I personally, I'm okay with that because you know value in general is not going to be the same once you start factoring in need. Uh, in general, I would never want to draft an interior lineman in the first round. I don't think interior linemen change the game enough to be worth a first-round pick, and there's a lot of data that backs that up. But for the Vikings, the interior line did change the game enough to be worth a first-round pick. They were that bad, and fixing that problem is worth it. Um, I'm a huge fan of Irv Smith. I really wanted him going into uh, draft weekend, and when they picked him in the second round, I was ecstatic. I'm not a big fan of of drafting a running back in the third round, but I, I definitely get that they wanted to replace Latavius Murray, so, like, sure, I guess. And then... Um, Drew Samia is another interior lineman, and so they double-dipped there and actually got themselves uh, two people who could end up starting within the next three years, and that's awesome for Drew Samia. And then beyond that, there's a lot of kind of raw athletes, and this is very typical of the Vikings. They will take people who need a little bit more coaching but are very athletic, guys like Oli Udo. um, Oh, gosh, now I'm blanking. Uh, Marcus Epps is like that, and he appears to be showing out in OTAs, so maybe that. Uh, is is working out, um, but it's, it was very typically a Vikings draft after, you know, they don't usually draft as, as directly for need as they did in this draft, um, but I'm kind of okay with them doing that every once in a while. So here we go. Can the Vikings reclaim their 2017 form in the NFC North? Where are they ranking division right now, and how many wins do you see for their future, at least right now on paper? You know, the NFC North seems really even at the top between the Packers, Lions, or Packers, uh, Bears, and Vikings. And then I think the Lions are still kind of a step down. I just don't think they have the roster around Matt Stafford to make him successful. Um, the Bears won it last year, but they're a pretty strong regression candidate. And with Aaron Rodgers hopefully being healthy, you know, the Packers are a progression candidate. And while I think the Vikings were a great regression candidate last year and that bore out, uh, I think they probably regressed a little bit more than is natural, and I think they might bounce back a little bit. So I think everybody's going to be in that 9-10 win range. And, you know, from there you're splitting hairs. So I'll say, screw it, I'll be an optimist. Yeah, they won the NFC North. Guarantee it. Lock it up. <laughs> okay. So in that case, how many, you say 9-10 wins for them as well, win the NFC North? Three team I race. think I have them, I think I have them at 9-7. and seven. Okay. And so, they'll win the NFC North on tiebreakers. Let's go. No, well, there was one thing I did notice with the NFC North. That I noticed that on paper, every team did improve. Even the Lions. I know you mentioned they're a step below. But the Lions did get better. I don't, this team, this is going to be a brutal division to watch next year. Yeah, I, I think the Bears are the team that got worse because they lost a lot of key pieces on their defense and they replaced them with other key people like HaHa Clinton Dix. But, you know, that's no Eddie Jackson. And so, like... They also lost Vic Fangio, who was a big part of that defensive scheme, and I think that defense kind of carried them. And I'm also I'm not a believer in Mitch Trubisky at all. So I, I I would say it's between the Vikings and Packers, and they'll both end up nine and seven. It'll come down to tiebreakers, and the Bears will be hunting for a wild card, maybe. All right. So can you let folks know where they can find you? Yes. So you can find my Twitter is at Luke Braun NFL. Uh, the show Locked on Vikings, you can find on any podcast app you like listening. To. It's on everything. Um, you can also ask if you have Alexa or Siri, you can just ask it, play podcast, blah, 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 and it'll actually take you to the most recent episode of that podcast. 
Um, so you can find my show that way, and you can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. And the show is also on Twitter at Lockdown Vikings if you want to go follow that. All right, awesome. Hopefully we're talking again come January because the Rams and Vikings don't play this year. So hopefully it's January. We'll see each other again. And, and uh, I'd love that. All right. Well, you have a great one, Luke, and, and thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks, man. Cheers. All right, Mike, I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit. You ready? I'm going to ask you to dig deep. I'm going to ask you to dig real deep into your memories. The Mike Stewart mind of football memories. Dun, dun, dun. What was your best memory of a game against the Minnesota Vikings? Actually, my best memory was my second year, 1988. We played them up there in a a playoff game. And maybe it's not a good memory, but I saw Joey Browner single-handedly changed the whole complexion of the game. And he was wearing some big old elbow pads or something. And, man, he was just roaming around the field making plays all night long and sent us home with a loss. That loss, I remember, 28-17 in the 1988 wild card game up in Minnesota. 27. Yeah. Oh, man. I was asking for your best memory. <laughs> well, for me, when you got it again, that was my second year, but the strike had happened a year before. So it was only, I think we only ended up playing six or seven games. So the second year was still kind of a little bit like my rookie year. So, man, I was just ecstatic about the whole idea of being in there. But actually being able to start that game was pretty cool, too. Well, I think you also bring up a, a huge point when it comes to the Vikings, though. That game wasn't a loss. The history of the Rams and the Vikings, especially the playoffs, is not a good one. Not a good one at all. That's why the 2000, which was the 1999 season, the 2000 divisional playoff win over the Vikings was so huge for Rams fans, no matter where they were, because they remembered all those tough games against the Vikings, those losses against the Vikings in the 70s, the playoff loss in 1988. The Vikings always seem to have the Rams number, and beating the Vikings has a little bit of sweetness to it, even to this day. It's a shame don't get them this year. That victory of the Vikings last year, huge, huge. Can we not say that? That really kind of showed who Jared Goff was, and um, man, it's a bummer to me they're not going to play him this year. Right, right. Yeah, so yeah, the, the Vikings, I don't know, and, and it was just crazy because being up there in their dome at the time, you know, they had the, uh, a guy that goes around on the motorcycle and this big old loud horn, and so, man, it was it was an atmosphere you love playing in, and uh, you appreciate the opponents who actually cheer for their team and, you know, don't throw batteries at you, so... <laughs> Yeah, we, we look forward to, you know, the Vikings. You know, they got a lot of uh, nostalgia, if you will, with the, what was the Purple People Eaters and all mm-hmm. that good stuff. Alan mm-hmm. Page and that crew. Fran Tarkenton was the first runaround quarterback, I believe. Uh, so, yeah, but, you know, anytime the Rams get a W, that's all good. All right, folks. So with all that said, it is time for us to hit the road. We are looking for sponsors, so reach out to us at RamsTop1945 at gmail.com. Leave us a voicemail, too, at 657-666-5453. We have a media kit ready to get out to you. 
And quite frankly, now's the time if you would like to advertise with us or sponsor with us because rates will go up later on as we get more people with CM. It, it always happens. It's every year folks leave for the summer. And then once training camp rolls around, people start trickling back. And that's, of course, this is happening now. And before you know it, our numbers are outstanding. Well, they were, they've been good all year, actually. I can't lie. The summer's been pretty good for us this year. And uh, best thanks to our loyal listeners as well. Okay. One more thing. Talking Halos, if you're an Angels fan, that's doing outstanding as well. I've had a lot of traffic for, of Rams fans who are also now listening to Talking Halos. So thank you so much for that. Check it out. It's a good show. I know Dodgers fans, you deserve a show too. Well, that was a plan. It's still the plan, but it might not happen right away. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Talk Rams and on Facebook and find us at facebook.com forward slash Rams Talk and find us also in the Rams Talk room. It's a group where we, our guys are often in there talking, chatting, and posting stuff. Other folks are a lot of posting there as well. You can find me, Derek C. Paula, on Twitter at DC Paula, and you can find Mr. Michael Stewart at OneDuke23. Don't forget us in Apple Music, Stitcher, SoundCloud, all those places. We are there all the time. And with all that said, it is time for us to say goodnight. We'll talk to you midweek. For Mike and the entire Rams Talk staff, this is Derek C. Paula saying take it easy. We're out of here. We're out. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwans.com backslash yum for details. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.